Welcome to the Community Colleges Australia podcast. I'm Ryan Pemberton. This is the second episode in our eight-part series on board governance and executive leadership. The board is responsible for good governance across the organization. But to be an effective board, you need to have effective board meetings. So what does a great board meeting look like? And how do you make them happen consistently? In the previous episode, we met Julia Riddout and Chris Taylor, both chairs of community education providers. In this episode, we'll be learning how they run their board meetings. We'll cover practical tips on planning, keeping meetings to time, how to deal with overly dominant or passive board members, as well as facilitating healthy disagreement. There'll be some good advice from Ty Wiggins of Converge Consulting on those last two points later on in the episode. First, we'll hear from Chris Taylor, chair of Tech NQ in Townsville, a not-for-profit senior secondary school that provides apprenticeship trades training. Chris stresses the importance of structure in ensuring that board meetings are efficient and effective. So to me, board meetings are structured events. I like a lot of structure uh, personally, and I believe that's necessary to ensure that it doesn't just become a social talk fest, that there's a lot of work that needs to get accomplished in a board meeting. And the moment you allow it to become a general discussion, it, it could go for five or six hours. And I've been in scenarios where where board meetings have run for four to five hours and it's just mind-numbing and you need to make sure that you get the business of the day done, you get it done efficiently and that you do that in a very time-conscious way. So we do that by running to a, a fairly detailed agenda that's been developed and approved by the board. There are four main areas of compliance that the Tech NQ board meeting will cover. First is safety. That always comes first in our in our board meeting papers. Secondly is our school students. So we do what we call a, um, a student report that talks about student numbers, any current issues with students, any anything we need to be aware of that's happening in relation to the school, um, any good news stories that, that the board should know about. Third is staff. And that can include things like uh, staff changes, staff movements, staff promotions, staff training and professional development. Obviously, as an education provider, it's our people that are the most important asset to the business. They are what creates our product. They are our product as such because the, the quality of the education we deliver is, is what we're selling. So it's important that we um, nurture and look after our product and our staff and our people. So we continue to monitor that very closely. And lastly, the financial aspects of the organisation. That includes the, the previous month's financial statements, where we're at in relation to the budget. From a compliance point of view, it's important directors uh, understand the finances of the organisation. None of those reports are read out in the meeting. All board members are expected to have fully read all papers. I will not sit there during a board meeting and allow board papers to be read out to directors who read them before you come. And then we go into questions. So does any board member have a question for any of the EMT or the CEO? 
in relation to their reports or is there anything the CEO or EMT would like to add to their report that may have changed since the report was prepared or something they would like to specifically highlight. But we never read out reports in board meetings. Then we go on to strategy and talk about strategic issues and where we are with our various um, strategic imperatives. This includes getting updates, sometimes presentations, on what stage their strategic objectives are at. The board members then have an opportunity to ask questions, consider any new strategic directions, and decide whether to hold off on, rework, or scrap any of the strategies that aren't working. So strategy should always take up the most of your board meeting, in my view, because that's fundamentally what we're there for. We're, we're there to drive the strategic direction. We also look at risk, obviously, look at the risk register, look at any changes to that, look at any risks that might be coming to the organisation that need to be mitigated and making sure that we are monitoring all the possible risks that are around. The CEO will always present a report, in my view, and she may well have various proposals that need to be discussed for board approval. So items that the CEO is wanting to do or achieve that aren't necessarily in her delegation that need to be considered by the board. And these might include things like additional capital spends or going into new programs or looking at uh, expansion stuff or contraction or whatever it might be. If it's outside the CEO's delegation, well, that's an opportunity for the CEO to bring that to the board. Chris also feels it's important to include a section for a directors-only meeting where the CEO isn't present. We don't always use it, but it's always on the agenda. And I always am conscious of asking, does any director feel we need a directors-only session to discuss any matter? Because the, the board needs to know that, you know, it, there's nothing wrong with having a directors-only session. And it's important as chair that you do manage that, uh, especially afterwards, to assure the CEO, you know, without necessarily disclosing any discussions that directors may not have wanted to have in front of the CEO that we're not necessarily um, talking negatively. It might just be that that the board wants, you know, to talk about something from a director's only point of view, and but it needs to be something that is available and that board members know that they can access should they want to. So that's what I think uh, a good meeting is. And for us, we, we try to keep that to an hour and a half. So we try and make sure we pack all that in. Sometimes it might stretch out, but never more than, than a um, two-hour meeting. And that's only six times a year for us as a board. Next, we'll take a look at a Central Coast Community College board meeting with their chair, Julia Redout. Can you talk me through what one of your board meetings looks like? How are they prepared? How do they usually run? Sure. So we um, have forward items that will come from the, the previous meeting, whether that be minuted actions or whether that be new topics for discussion that all align towards our strategy or what we may be looking for or the executive team are looking for that month. So we do monthly meetings at the moment. Certainly through COVID, that was a really important time for connection for the board and connection in with our CEO. So the way that we prepare them is we look at the hot topics and any critical items, and then the CEO and I will prepare the agenda uh, prior, usually about two weeks prior to the meeting, and then we issue the board papers a week before. So board directors have that time before the meeting to read them. Julia's board prefers to stick to shorter, more regular meetings. And at the moment, our meetings are scheduled for an hour. 
And that's intentional. I know a lot of boards that have half-day meetings or all-day meetings once a month or once a quarter, but our preference is to have a shorter time but more regular so that we can get on top of hot issues but also have some movement of activities through through to our executive team and through to our trainers. I think if our board meetings were a lot longer, even though it'd be great to you know spend more time with each other generally and chat, I think there would be a, a tendency to go off topic and a tendency to maybe elaborate on a point a little bit too much. Uh, so it's very purposeful that our meetings are are short. I can engage with them and actually keep them on point and also not stay on a topic. If I can see that everyone's happy with it and they're happy to move on, we move on. We don't just stay on a topic for the sake of it. But recently they ran into a problem where the volume of proposals being put forward was too much to cover in the allocated hour. And that was a lesson learned for all of us because it meant that we could actually, what I could have done is got hot topic information from the directors before the meeting and established already that that was going to be a key issue for them. And then I probably actually would have split the agenda and split it over a couple of meetings. So it was a good lesson for us to learn that sometimes when we've got four or five meaty topics that we need to get through, that maybe it's better not to put them all on one agenda and to split them through several. We've learned that if there are a number of of proposals being put forward, that it's important for me to potentially connect with the directors before the meeting individually, which wouldn't be our normal process. Our normal process is preparing an agenda, preparing the board papers, but this which the CEO does, sending those out a week before, and then we set, we read, and then we come to the meeting. But if I see a number of topics as a chair, I think it would be really important for me to connect in with those directors beforehand. We're only a small board of five, so it wouldn't be difficult to do that. Is there any kind of follow-up with board directors after the meeting? Um, Yes, there is. So we follow up um, from the point of view of sending out the actions and activities that we're looking for from different directors maybe to contribute. So there might be a project, for example, for one of the directors to do and contribute to the board. So recently, one of our directors um, has a risk background, so they produced a new risk appetite statement for us. And that was constructed over a number of months, bringing that back to the board. So we do connect in. So I would connect in with that director as with the CEO, just to keep developing that through so that we've got something to bring back to the board each month. Have you ever sat in on any board meetings that were kind of dysfunctional, like didn't go well? And what would you say was the issue there? Um, it's dysfunctional is an interesting word. I think it's um, it depends on how people perceive what that means. So for me, it's great to connect with people and come together as a board. But I think if you walk away from the board meeting and you haven't actually achieved anything from an objective point of view or you've just sat around and nodded in agreement with each other, I don't see that as successful. What I would say is probably not effective rather than dysfunctional. So I think it's important for board meetings to be effective and for people to feel that their voices have been heard and their contribution has been made because they're there for a reason, because of maybe a a sector of the industry that they represent or their skills background. Um, So in our board, for example, we've got audit background, risk background, small business background um, and portfolio management. So we, you know, all bring something to the table. So I think if, if people walk away and it's not been effective, then that's that's disappointing. And I have seen that over the years in, in both corporate and non-for-profit. So what makes an effective board meeting? Chris says that making sure the board sticks to the agenda is key. So if people start to get a little bit off track, uh, what we'll often do is, uh, or I'll often do is 
just draw us back to that particular agenda item and just say, well, hang on a sec, we can talk about that either later or in general business or or I know that's going to be discussed in, in this section of the agenda. Let's just focus on, um, you know, item 6.7 and talk about that for now if we can and just redirect the conversation back to that particular agenda item and, and work through the meeting succinctly because if you start to jump around it just creates that um, continual discussion where you're not actually achieving anything. I also think it's important that you do bring each of these items to a close where necessary. So if there is a particular resolution that's being proposed, that the resolution is put, that it's moved, that it's seconded, that it's voted upon. How do you ensure that everyone in the meeting gets a voice that like the most dominant personalities aren't the only voices that are being heard in the room? Yeah, it's not always straightforward. I think it's actually better now we have a visual mechanism through Zoom or Microsoft Teams because for me as a facilitator, I can see straight away from the body language cues and the and the visual cues from the directors whether or not they're trying to get in to say something. So we don't have a formal process of me calling on each director in turn. I just do that quite naturally if I can see that somebody wants to speak. So I think that that's part of the engagement. So for me, it's about watching the body language, listening to the point, watching if there's any frustration with maybe a comment that's been made by another director, but also, if needs be, taking a stance and saying, thank you, you've had your say, and let's move forward. And and, and trying to make sure that that's always respectful and and, uh, engaging with each of the individuals. And then it's incredibly important that you make sure that you ask, is there anyone who disagrees with the motion as well? Because, And it's incredibly important that they are vocal when they disagree with something because it's better that they're vocal then and there in the meeting than to be vocal externally to the meeting that, that oh, well, I wasn't really against it, but they never gave me the opportunity to say. You want to know there and then at the meeting that there is someone who might be against a particular proposal, in which case that's that's fine. Let's hear why uh, if you'd like to or if you just want to, you know, be recorded on the minutes as being opposed to that, that's fine too. You don't have to give your reasons or, or why. You might just want to disagree with a particular proposal and, and you can do that. That's what uh, a board's about. So you obviously, as a chairman, you'll know if an item's a big item for a particular board and that'll vary depending on the size of your organization and and your experience so if you're doing something all the time it's business as usual it's probably not a big controversial issue but if there's something that is new to what you are going to do or have done in the past that can often be something that's difficult for boards to get their head around so what you'll often do in that case is specifically ask each director, what's your view on this, uh, positive, negative? Uh, is there anything you want to add or is there any questions you want to ask of the CEO or whoever's prepared the proposal? And then, yeah, run around the board in that regard uh, one by one. In this episode, we've heard about the importance of making sure all views are welcomed and expressed but where is that line between healthy disagreement and infighting? Here's Ty Wiggins from Converge Consulting. The happy balance is a board that 
can have a robust discussion, one where all the directors feel comfortable to voice their opinion. There's a, a time for them to discuss and debate that, but the board still is able to make a decision and move forward. So there's a couple of things in any team dynamic, and it shows up in boards absolutely, is having a structure such as discuss, debate, decide, as an example, is a good process whereby people can actually move through things. There's areas for all three parts, which are important. And then there's an understanding that even if there isn't 100% agreement, there can still be 100% commitment. And that relies on people feeling like they were heard. So if my opinion is is heard and understood and the organisation still goes in a different direction, I can commit 100%. But if I don't feel like I'm heard, then I'll struggle. So I think ultimately where we see it working well, the board is having good discussions and they're moving through making decisions. Where it's not working well, people are abdicating, people are passively aggressive, they're not contributing, it's a no vote, you know, we're not moving forward. Is it ultimately the chair's responsibility to ensure that all those contributions are made? I think ultimately the responsibility does sit in part with the chair, but you know, we have boards where there are directors that have responsibilities as directors. So as as professional individuals, they're responsible for managing themselves in a way that makes this functional. And if they can't contribute in a functional way, they probably sh- should not be there. And this is where the chair really, a good chair will facilitate a healthy conversation, allow people to speak and still be able to move forward. You've been listening to Season 3 of the Community Colleges Australia Governance and Leadership Podcast Series, produced by Audiocraft, with funding support from the New South Wales Government. Next episode, we'll look at the ways a board can go awry and how to get it back on track. On your watch, the college needs to prosper. It needs to be set up well so that it's in your community for the next 20 to 30 years, because if it doesn't survive... Nobody fills the gap and the community is poorer for it. So the chair certainly has the obligation to address negative director behaviour and to do so promptly and seriously. That's in the next episode of the CCA Governance Podcast Series. You can find all our episodes at cca.edu.au.